Hi, hello, and welcome. This is the Zonecast, where we interview emerging professionals, entrepreneurs, and academics. And uh, today we have with us on the show uh, Dr. Jason Berman. He's the Director of Marketing and Communications at Zetain. Uh, hi, Jason. How are you? Welcome to the show. Hi, thank you for having me. I'm doing very well. Perfect. Thank you for taking the time to be on the show. And I want to start by talking about your professional and personal background. So can you tell us more about your background? Uh, interesting story. It's quite a circuitous uh, route that I've taken and uh, professionally. So from a young age, I was always really fascinated by science and technology, but I always had a very strong creative side to me as well. So I always had one foot in each domain and the the arts as well as science. And uh, when I first went to university, I specialized in uh, biochemistry and I did uh, my master's in biochemistry. And um, nearing the end of my thesis work, I was just finding that, you know, this over, over focus on these tiny little details of studying, you know, metabolic pathways and how all these different enzymes all work together was only a very small perspective of like how our world really works. And so I was kind of thinking as like, okay, well, where can I get exposure to more of like a big picture interpretation of science and technology? And I like literally kind of stumbled across um, a scholarship opportunity that uh, takes people from science and technology and puts them into public policy internships and what they wanted to do, this granting organization, is that they wanted to get um, experts, people that have um, a fundamental understanding of science and technology, to do work in government and regulation. Because we're approaching this problem in society now where technology is becoming really, really complicated and hard to understand, that in order for us to really regulate it in the best way possible, we need people that can really speak the language of tech. And so to encourage technology and science professionals, scientists to go into a more um, public policy career path, they were offering these types of internships where I did one at Health Canada and two in a more academic uh, university kind of situation of developing policies and studying the ethical and social implications of emerging tech. By chance, I had one internship with this really cool guy called Dr. Uh, Bryn Williams-Jones at the University of Montreal, and I just liked it so much in bioethics that I decided to pursue my PhD with him and focus on these like bigger pictures of studying the social and ethical implications of new technologies. And then um, I completed my PhD. It was a great, uh, great experience, really loved it, uh, published a lot, got to travel the world, shared my research uh, far and wide. And I then uh, scored a nice grant to do a postdoc at McGill. And at the end of my postdoc um, in ethics and health policy, I uh, wanted to branch out from academia. I just didn't want to do like research in the ivory tower anymore. And just looking for different kinds of opportunities in Montreal, Montreal is a pretty active and booming technology community, especially in tech entrepreneurship. And I was seeing just different kinds of events being announced in the city, and I started to attend them. And then I met all these really interesting, dynamic, vivacious kind of people that were these eccentric kind of tech entrepreneurs and all their kind of innovative ideas that they were bringing forth to market. And I just loved the energy, and I just loved this different way of looking at technology innovation and bringing it to the public. And then I fell into the tech entrepreneurship scene in, uh, in Montreal. 
Now, given my background where I did like a whole bunch of research and a lot of publications and a lot of like standing in front of audiences trying to explain what science and technology is and their social and ethical implications are, I developed really strong skills in communicating technology to a general audience. And that's how I just stumbled in to becoming a marketing and communications expert in science and technology. Mm -hmm. That's an uh, interesting story. Um... I'm curious to learn more about uh, Zetain and what Zetain does and what kind of products and solutions they offer. Okay, so just to continue on this line of thought, um, because I was doing in my in my doctorate, I was doing a social and ethical implications. That's what I was studying of new technologies. I often had to explain technologies to a multidisciplinary audience that included everyone from you know lawyers to politicians to the general public to nurses, whomever the target audience may be. So I developed skills in being able to communicate technology in a more general kind of fashion. So um, that helped me get the skills I needed to explain complex technology within the tech sector. And then I started to specialize in artificial intelligence because in Montreal, we have uh, quite the booming uh, AI tech scene here. Uh, quite fascinating, a lot of great movers and shakers. So after working at like three other technology startups specializing in AI, um, I recently, about a year and a few months ago, I, I acquired my position I have currently in Satain, and we develop a software that expedites the development of AI technology for business or industrial applications of AI, so like AI in the real world. And uh, we developed like a, a very visual and more intuitive kind of platform where you can see AI and how it works. And by using this more visual way of representing the technology rather than abstract computer code, uh, multidisciplinary teams in business and industry can become more implicated in an AI innovation project. And so what I overdo, oversee now is um, sharing the word and explaining to uh, both technical professionals and non-technical professionals, the power of using the next generation of software so that we could better develop AI solutions for the real world. Mm -hmm. That's uh, pretty amazing. So uh, one thing that I want to talk about is uh, how to market and promote AI products. Um, so are you able to share some um, techniques and campaigns that you might have implemented to promote uh, various AI products? Oh my gosh, to uh, promote, it's more of like a sharing uh, understanding and knowledge. So this is one thing that I would really like to highlight in our conversation today is that commercial applications of AI are very, very new. Um, sure, we have some prominent examples that people are more familiar with, such as, you know, a recommendation system where, you know, once you watch uh, a, a, a given show on Netflix, it will recommend another show for you that is uh, similar to your, your interests that's determined by an algorithm. And that's great. But the emerging forms of AI applied in industrial operations and other like, big corporations, it's still relatively new. So a lot of what we do now um, as marketing and communication professionals is explaining the um, overall, just like what is AI and how it works and also what are like the current limitations and how best to implement the technology. So for example, I was working previously in the agriculture sector and I remember I had so many challenges with explaining to agriculture experts like what is big data? Why does it matter that you have to protect your privacy of your data? What is an algorithm? 
how we could use computer technologies and like very sophisticated software to predict future harvests and whatnot. And so what I find now is that us in the AI sector have to spend a lot of time educating both business leaders and the public as to what exactly is machine learning, what is computer vision, um, what is big data, and how we could leverage it to uh, gain efficiencies in business. So we do a lot of work, and I myself, uh, as a passion, do a lot of work of uh, communicating to the public. Um, I write op-eds in the newspaper. I love engaging with others uh, through podcasts like this to get the word out and uh, different uh, activities of explaining um, to different business leaders and other members of the government as to like how AI works and how to use it best. Mm -hmm. And um, as, as you, uh, we were speaking earlier, you mentioned that there has to be uh, a public uh, education element. And I think you touched uh, some on that as, as to, you know, creating more awareness about what is machine learning and what is data. Um, do you think, um, um, are there any specific things that, you know, businesses and marketers should be educating the public and the decision makers uh, more on, uh, on uh, technology and AI? Overall, I think that we are reaching a situation here where we need to have more of a, a mutual understanding as professionals, uh, professional communicators in the tech sector to inform other people about the work we do and uh, the technology that we're bringing to market in a way that people can understand and um, no longer uh, fear, I guess you could say. So it's this growing notion of a duty to explain to people what is AI and what its limitations and the efforts that we take as both a company and also as a society to protect everybody so that we leverage AI in the best way possible. So many things come to mind. Um, number one, oh gosh, what, what was like some of the activities I, I would love to think of is the last thing we want is for this promising technology of artificial intelligence for the narrative to go down this dark path where we end up um, overly demonizing a technology that remains unfamiliar to a lot of people. So one thing I'm noticing lately is that when you bring up conversations about AI in the general public, many people raise their eyebrow and they ask, it's like, is it dangerous? Is that, you know, um, killer robots? Is it something that's going to discriminate against me? And what I see today is, is that um, we, unless, unless we change course and we spend a lot more time in properly regulating the technology and explaining to other people how it works truly and all the safeguards that we're building, um, if we don't do this properly, that we may run into a situation where the technology becomes demonized, similar to what we saw with uh, genetically modified organisms in agriculture. Do you remember that period? Yes. Yeah, so it's like something that lasts to this day. And um, I think that we need to make a greater effort in making sure that that does not happen and that fears towards AI and uh, big data collection are reasonable. Mm -hmm. Do you think when it comes to AI, um, we need to be concerned about our privacy and take steps to actively protect our privacy? 
Well, for everybody to understand, to put it into context, uh, data is the lifeblood of artificial intelligence. So the data that we collect on a given task, for example, is what we use to train sophisticated software so that it could make future predictions on that given task. That's like the simplest way of describing it. Data is the lifeblood of AI. We use data on a given task in order to train sophisticated software so that it could learn that task and then make uh, predictions in the future on how best to do that task over and over and over again. Um, with that said, is like who are the main suppliers of data? Quite often, it's us, uh, average members of the population, and we could collect data from oh a whole bunch of different sources out there. So right now, this whole notion of data as a commodity has become this new concept out there, and your data is really, really valuable. Everybody in the tech sector knows this, but few people in uh, the public know this. And government regulators are trying to catch up in terms of how best to regulate other people's use of our data. And it raises a lot of questions as to like who owns it? Is it us or is it like the tech companies and the platforms that enable the collection of this data en masse to make AI? That being said, protections and regulations uh, on terms of like how our data is used, sold, cut into bits and pieces and um, traded uh, is still at its infancy. Uh, the European Union is like one of the most advanced uh, regions of the world that has pro consumer protections. But overall, um, we're still at an early stage of development in terms of privacy protections and data ownership questions. So this is something that everybody needs to keep their eyes on because it is important to everybody in society. Uh, we need to leverage data in the best way possible so that we can protect ourselves from um, people pretty much learning everything about our private lives <laughs> through a smartphone and also uh, developing AI technology that can like really make a difference in humanity. Mm -hmm. That's great. Um, can you talk about the different op-eds uh, you have written in uh, yeah, for the AI topic? Pardon me, I, that, that I cut out for one second. Yeah, sorry. Um, can you talk about the different uh, op-eds that you have written uh, regarding AI? Oh, I remember one of the first op-eds uh, that came out. I was writing about uh, deep fakes technology. So this was a very interesting story that came out um, oh, a few years ago where somebody developed a, a pretty basic uh, AI technology that allows you to overlay the face of one person onto the face of another in a video. And uh, the individual that first developed these like deep fake technology as kind of like a joke, um, developed a fake pornography where they overlaid the face of prominent uh, actresses in Hollywood on uh, a pornographic video and it looked like those uh, famous people were partaking in this uh, adult film and it was totally fabricated and the person who developed these deep fakes um, I, I think they just wanted to get something that was quite sensationalist and that would grab a lot of people's attention they were highly successful by the way but this opened up this, this whole discussion of, wow, we're approaching a future where we could like synthesize fake video and audio with relative ease and uh, very few resources. And how might this upend society where we could be challenged with trying to identify what actually is real, what is true, and uh, what, what, what might this entail in terms of like uh, submitting evidence to a criminal case, for example, in courts, you know, we used to embrace video evidence as like a golden standard. And uh, with these new AI technologies, fabricating all of this becomes ever, ever easier and more and more convincing. 
And so that was one of my first op-ed pieces I wrote for the McGill Gazette was informing people of like, okay, we really need uh, to open our eyes to this dystopian future if we let this get ahead of us without being fully aware of like how fake audio and video can be used in disinformation campaigns on social media. <laughs> Maybe uh, many people have heard of that lately. And also with just stirring up a lot of dissent and maybe even uh, political upheavals where people could uh, fake videos of you know, political leaders saying and doing things that they would not otherwise do and uh, could be quite inflammatory. Mm-hmm. It definitely sounds uh, scary, but I'm guessing there, there are ways to identify if a video is a fake video. Oh, that's a good question. So people are trying to develop uh, technologies now to dis, uh, distinguish, you know, uh, the real deal from synthetic videos. And um, I'm not exactly an expert in that domain, so I can't really comment as to like which one is the best of the best or what's the greatest uh, strategy going forward. But I know um, some people advance a pretty convincing argument that what we could do is we could leverage something called distributed ledger technology or uh, blockchain technology. So most people are familiar with this in terms of, you know, cryptocurrencies like Bitcoin. But uh, rather than focusing on the cryptocurrency, let's focus on the distributed ledger. So what the distributed ledger does is it keeps like um, a stamp or a record of whatever it is you like, and it's kept in a way that other people cannot manipulate it. So if somebody would try to manipulate it, there's like a whole bunch of people on a network that could confirm uh, which is the real deal and which has been manipulated. So you could do this with um, a video, for example, where you as a world leader, uh, you publish a video and you could have it placed on a distributed ledger and stamped uh, digitally saying like, this is the real deal. And if anybody would manipulate it in any shape or form, you could go back to the original and say, oh, this is the certified original here. Ignore all the rest. That's all just fluff. And I think going forward, that's something that uh, will become increasingly common is using distributed ledgers to certify digital content online. Mm-hmm. Well, that's, uh, that's interesting. And uh, hopefully uh, we are able to develop more and more technologies to... to uh protect ourselves from the downside of, as you mentioned, the defake technologies and whatnot that's out there. So there is no disinformation and uh, misrepresentation and fake evidence, uh, as, as you mentioned. Um, well, um, Jason, it has been nice speaking with you and learning about um, your background and also about AI and, and, and how we need to educate ourselves about AI. So thank you so much for taking the time to be on the show. Well, thank you very much for the opportunity. I appreciate it. You have a good day. You're welcome. And um, is there any uh, website or links that you would like to share where people can learn more about uh, yourself or AI? Well, I would love for people to uh, check out some of the activities we're doing at Zetain, where we try to uh, make very abstract and otherwise uh, extremely complex technologies and artificial intelligence, namely deep learning, more visual and intuitive. So you could go to our website at zetane.com, Z-E-T-A-N-E, and you could download a free viewer right now, um, and you could look inside artificial neural networks and see all like the internal workings of, of these, these entities that we hear so much about in the news lately. And um, if anybody would ever like to communicate with me, I say the best way to find me is either on LinkedIn, just shoot me um, uh, a message, 
And so my family name is B-E-H-R-M-A-N-N. And if you do a similar search uh, using that family name on Twitter, you should find my handle, which is Bearman, uh, PhD. All right, perfect. Uh, listeners, I hope you enjoyed this episode and you get a chance to learn about AI and uh, how to promote AI and, and, and you have a better understanding of AI and, and the challenges and how we can possibly navigate them. And as uh, Jason mentioned, that you can uh, visit zitain.com and learn more about the work that they're doing. Uh, uh, around AI and uh, thank you so much for listening to Zonecast and stay tuned for more episodes.